Okay, ready? Hey everybody, you are listening to the Church Theology Podcast, a podcast on the church for the church. My name is Kirk Miller, here with Dan Allen. Hi. And today we are continuing our series through Revelation, coming specifically to Revelation 14, 14 through 15, 4. There's a lot of fours in there. Yikes. Um, and so, yeah, so Dan preached on this passage this Sunday, and... Um, we're going to dive into it and just kind of discuss some of the details a little bit more here. Mm-hmm. And yeah, that's yeah. all I have to say for an for introduction. Yeah. So let's go ahead and why don't I'll rescue you, you from, from the awkward. Going I don't know what I'm going to Do you want to give us some of the context and just kind of remind us of where we are in the, in the book uh, sure. at this point in this section? Sure. Uh, yeah, it's with, we're really in a section. The whole section goes from 1119 to 15.4, uh, but we're in the kind of the there are seven visions in that from 13.1 to 15.4. We're in this like second batch of visions because the first two visions are about these two beasts that come and make war against the saints. Yep. They're the agents of the devil. Uh, and then we have the, the question at the end of 13 in the mind of the reader is sort of like, what's going to happen to the church? How is she going to make it? Because the both the beasts just make war against the saints. They take them captive. They slain them. They they try to deceive them. Uh, it's just, it looks like absolute chaos. Yet there is that part in 13, uh, what is it? Versus, 1310. Yeah, 1310, where it's like, it's clear that God's in full control. If anyone's supposed, uh, ordained to be captive, essentially, then to ca- to captivity goes. Yeah. If he's supposed to be slain, he'll be slain. You can trust that God is in control. Here's a call for endurance. And yet it just feels like on earth, from an earthly lens, it feels chaotic. But from a heavenly lens, like God is in control. Yet the question then is still like, how is the church going to make it? How are they going to endure? And now John gives five more visions, uh, all sort of what you might say post-pilgrimage, all showing what happens at the end of the pilgrimage, uh, whether it be by death or the coming of the Lord. Uh, and we're, we're giving we're given uh, two options. One is sort of a positive option or completely positive option, yeah. right? Uh, singing of the Lamb. The salvation the that awaits for believers. Yep. Yep. Or the judgment, a negative and, yeah. and John wants to use both of these to stir up endurance in the saints, both yeah. positive and negative visions. So we've had we had the dragon in the first in the first section, and then when we get yeah, that kind of sets up the seven and I saw mm-hmm. visions. Mm-hmm. Say all of them begin with and I saw. You have the two beasts that are kind of like that's the battle of the church age, so to say. And then from fourteen to fifteen four, you kind of have this is these are pictures of what awaits yeah. the believers who die in the Lord or or non-believers who face judgment. Yeah. You dealt with the first, what was it? First, the first two. two yeah. The week before in, in yep. the podcast. And that's 14.1, verse 13. Yep. <clears throat> so you had a vision of, uh, of the 144,000, the church, um, you know, praising God. Mm-hmm. And then you have the vision of, or you have the three angels then who declare God's mm-hmm. coming judgment. Yeah. Just to add with that is is that both of the people in these two contrasting visions are marked people. The first are, are have the seal of God on their forehead. Uh, and the seal of the lamb written on them. And then uh, the second one, uh, who drink the cup of God's wrath, uh, they are the people who are marked by the beast, which came at the end of chapter 13 yep. and then shows back up, back up in the second vision. And so what we really see is this great reversal. And John wanting to say, show the church, like, don't worry, hang in. There's going to be a great reversal. Yes, you can't buy and sell right now uh, because of the beast, but you will sing uh, 
before the lamb. And yes, those who can buy and sell now, it might look like it's good and safe, but wait, you got to see what's awaiting them. Yeah. So don't cave. So we have these, so kind of getting in after the beasts in 14, we, we saw two visions so far of the sealed people and their destiny and then the, the people marked by the beast and their reversed destiny. Mm-hmm. And then that leads us now into what, the last four? Last three. The last three. Okay, yep. yes. One, yep. Well, no, no, there's a... Uh, well, there's three visions. Oh yeah, the harvest, the harvest is, is two one. parts, yeah, two but it's harvest, one. But it's one yes. vision. You're right. Yeah. So there's. So yeah, let's get into that. The, this will be the. Uh, I got to do math. This will be the what the fourth vision, the fourth, and I saw. In, uh, fifth. Fifth. Five, six. Okay, seven, I'm yeah. really failing here. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. The fifth. We're dealing with the fifth, the sixth, yeah. and the seventh. Yeah. Today. There you go. Okay. Yeah. I, I'm gonna catch on. Okay. <laughs> so the fifth one starts in verse 14. Um, do you want to read? Sure. Let's just do the first half of that though. Okay. Then I looked, and behold, a white cloud, and seated on the cloud, one like a son of man, with a golden crown on his head and a sharp sickle in his hand. And another angel came out of the temple calling with a loud voice to him who sat on the cloud, Put in your sickle and reap, for the hour to reap has come, for the harvest of the earth is fully ripe. So he who sat on the cloud swung his sickle across the earth, and the earth was reaped. All right. So talk to us a little bit about um, this. It talks about, it opens up, Then I looked and behold, I saw um, the Son of Man on a white cloud talk to us about that that figure yeah. there yeah so the the son of man coming on a cloud uh some uh take that to be an angelic like a, a messenger angelic being not uh christ and the reason why they take that is because uh, in verse 15 uh an angel actually commands this son of man on a cloud to to reap and so then the they ask the question like well how could an angel command jesus what to do mm-hmm. um so it I, must be a lower. So yeah, it must be lower than than him. I think the the answer to that would be um, this angel was commissioned from uh, the temple, and so we're going back to chapter four here, right? He's commissioned from the temple to go out and tell the Son of Man to to reap. Mm-hmm. So this is a, a, then you would say a command from God the Father telling the Son, because um, I would take the Son of Man to be Christ. That's yeah. who that's who the Son of Man is defined for us in chapter one. The, the, the vision in chapter one of yep. this figure, he's that we clearly see that that's Jesus. Yes. So that would be one reasoning. Uh, second reasoning would be that this seems to be alluding to Daniel seven, uh, which uh, there the the uh, the Son of Man comes to the Ancient of Days and he's given a kingdom and he comes uh, forever, on a cloud, on a cloud, yeah. just like here. So Son yeah. of Man language is you know that conjures up immediately Daniel seven. Yeah. That's kind of like the the hot spot for Son of Man Correct, language, yeah. and this was Jesus' favorite title for him. He for himself, for himself. Yeah. So he's constantly calling himself uh, the Son of Man. Uh, and then, lastly, I think um, you know. So, so we've said that this is a series of seven visions, all starting out with the same phrase. Then I saw. Um, what's interesting, sometimes translated, I looked. Yes. So that's what's this. Which the interesting piece is twice. It's then I looked and behold, because. Uh, in the original language, you still have the same statement of then I saw, uh, but then you have this word for behold afterwards. And I think the translators feel like it might sound weird to say, then I saw and behold, mm-hmm. I guess. Uh, in two of the instances, there's the behold. And so they translate it looked instead yes. of saw yeah. to try to make it sound more normal. That's English. right. That's yeah. What you're saying. Yep. But if you kept, if you were helping the reader to see the, the section, the then it would say, then I saw and behold. Nonetheless, uh, where both of those happen is it's 14.1. 
and 14, 14. 14.1, if you just like, I'll read them both and then just try to get picture what what you're looking at. Okay. okay. So, then I looked and behold, on Mount Zion stood the lamb. And 14.14, 14. then I looked and behold, a white cloud and seated on the cloud, one like a son of man with a golden crown on his head. Like so I saw the first time I saw a lamb, yep. which represents Jesus. Yep. Second time I saw the Son of Man, which is Jesus. Yeah, right. So which which I would just add, I think, to the argument of the Son of Man is Jesus. Mm-hmm. But both times he's the first thing that John wants you to see in the vision. He actually then stops his and behold. Mm-hmm. So you're yeah. saying what you're saying is we we see seven times where in the Greek it says and I saw. Yeah. Uh, these two times where it happens to be translated looked in the ESV, but in the Greek it's still and I saw. Yep. The two the the two times where he adds that word behold with it. Yep. In both times, it's it, it it's it's a vision specifically of Jesus that immediately yeah. follows. Yeah. Which would argue then that Son of Man is Jesus. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's right. No, I just want to give it a good plug for the text group that happens on Sunday mornings. Yeah. Uh, before service, as well as uh, Sunday, uh, Monday mornings, uh, real early in the morning. Um, this That insight was actually given from one of the folks that came to the text group as we just kind of slowly walk through the passage and work on how to yeah. better read the Bible. I thought that was a really helpful insight. Yeah. So. Yeah. And just to clarify then, the angel that commands, so to say, Jesus, it's really, you're saying that that, that angel would be functioning almost like an emissary. Like a, that's right. They're representing God. Yeah. So it's not like they're exercising authority over right. Jesus that's anyways. Right. Yeah. They're just representing the the divine message. Yeah. Cool. So I know there's some discussion um, over in this vision of the harvest. Mm-hmm. Um, I know a lot of folks take this as a negative image, like gathering the harvest mm-hmm. for judgment. Mm-hmm. I'm just curious too. I didn't ask you this before, but when you surveyed, like when you did read some commentaries, mm-hmm. did did you get a sense of where most of them lean? Do most mm-hmm. of them lean in positive, or is it split negative? It or? felt a little bit half and half. Maybe. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. In my experience, I I think I've mostly heard the negative view. Yeah. That yeah. it's a j- vision of judgment, and sure. we would take the view that it's positive yeah that it's um the this fir- is the gathering yeah. of god's people not mm-hmm. for judgment but for salvation yeah. so walk us through some of the reasons for that yeah so i don't have all the reasoning in my head here um but i think there's the only main so ones, much space in your head that's you right <laughs> i think the main ones uh, one because there's two harvests in this vision uh one is the grain and one is the grapes the second one is very clearly judgment. Right. Right. Now there are some people that take that to be a positive, but that's a super minority view. Yeah, that would be so bizarre. It's yeah. almost exclusively would would hold that the second one is to the wrath of God seems pretty, pretty clear. Obviously that negative. It's, it's yeah. negative, right? How would you even take um, that positively? So I, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> um so the, or or maybe it's just saying there's a mix I I don't remember. It was just like you read it was right. like what? That's Come weird. On. Okay, yeah. Anyhow. So the second one is very clearly um, to the wrath of God. And he takes the time to really clearly spell that out. That it's negative. That it's negative. It would seem sort of like just intuitive to say, well, then the first one must be positive. Yeah. Otherwise, why, like, are why the, the two why separate harvests? Yeah. yeah. And then spend all the time spelling this one out. Um, and the fact that he doesn't go out of his way to show very, very clearly that it's negative. That's right. It kind of is like, okay, so there's two. We're supposed to maybe read these. Rather than read them as like the same thing twice. Yeah. It's like you're supposed to see them as two contrasting harvests. That's right. Yeah. I was joking. It's like, are you a grain or are you a grape? Right, right. Which is yeah. like a really cheesy way of putting it. Yeah. But it's kind of like you have right. two harvests. Yep. Yeah. Second, I think this this harvest is coming out of the, the first vision in this section of the 144,000. Um, in fourteen right, right. four, 
Uh, it is these who have not defiled themselves with women, for they are virgins. It is these who follow the Lamb wherever he goes. These have been redeemed from mankind as first fruits for God and for the Lamb. This first fruits is agricultural language, is the harvest. And this is now the picture of the harvest. Mm. This is Jesus going out for his harvest. Yeah. So the first fruits would be language of like, that's the first portion of a harvest. Yeah. Which would mm-hmm. seem to show that in context, harvest is being used positively yes, that's to right. refer to God's people, yeah. not a judgment. You'd have, there'd be a shift of imagery. Yeah. Within just a matter of, you know, paragraphs. Yeah, here. which actually adds to like why John goes out of his way to spell out that the negative judgment because mm-hmm. you've you've kind of absorbed the positive harvest. Yeah, like if you've read those two, and then it's like, well, let me tell you, this harvest is actually uh, a judgment. Right, and then I think also as you think about Jesus' parables as he come, you know, takes on flesh and he starts talking about the harvest to come. It's not only negative. He actually talks about. Uh, like one, you know, when he tells his disciples, he's like, look, look at the harvest. It's, it's ready. You you go out and ask God to bring harvesters. So it's, he looks at it as like people that are to come into the kingdom, uh, which would be a harvest is plentiful. The laborers are few. that passage. Yeah. And then you also have like, uh, the son of man plants the seed. Uh, the, the devil comes and plants the weeds. And at the end of the age, he'll come and He'll harvest. harvest yeah. He'll get, he'll gather his wheat, and the angels of God will gather the the wicked. Yeah. Uh, also, in like the pearls and, and such, or the so fish and stuff. It's not an uncommon image for sort of this end time gathering of God's people. In other yeah, words, yeah, that's right. So it's fitting. Yeah. Not that Revelation can't have its own image on its own. Totally. But it's not uncommon for Revelation to use images from yeah. elsewhere. In particular, Jesus' parables, in Matthew thirteen, seems to fit this pattern: a positive and a negative. Right. The yeah. separation. Wheat and a tares yeah. and. Um, is that 13, the wheat into tares? Is that what you're referring to? Yeah, yeah. that's right. So what does this, or is there anything else you'd want no, to add to that? No. What would, what does this passage then? Okay. So, so we're in the midst of, you know, 12 through 15, four, or actually 11, 19 to 15, four, you know, you have these visions of cosmic conflict, the, the, the different characters in this battle throughout history. And then in this particular section in 14, chapter 14, really to the end, we're kind of, get, you get these like. This is what awaits different people, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. okay? Positive and negative images. This particular image here of sort of the the harvest, the positive harvest mm-hmm. of God gathering his people, how is that supposed to help the people of God? Like, what is this image doing mm-hmm. in this section? Mm-hmm. What is it contributing and communicating yeah. to the reader? One, I, th- I think even that line, like the hour of harvest has come in uh, verse 15, sort of, I don't know, the, the way I kind of read that is sort of like, uh, God, God being the the farmer, or Jesus being the farmer, and waiting for the harvest to come, mm-hmm. and watching it, and the time has come, and He says, "Go get it," you know. And it's it's then as the saints, it's like God's not going to just let His harvest go. He's going to gather. We actually had a neighbor uh, once who uh, both summers he he had this great garden and like you know did a really great job at the beginning, and you'd watch all these crops grow, yeah. and then they'd all just like sit there. And he, he never, wouldn't come he, for the harvest. He never like got yeah. it. Yeah, it's just you know, silly. It was like, though. why'd like, you do why all the work? You do but you don't get you don't get the the fruit. Yeah. Not not in this vision. Like right. God's coming for his harvest. My father in law is a farmer. There's no yeah. way he'd like grow his right. field yeah. and not go like yeah. he's always like he's every time I go visit him, he's always talking about trying to find people to help him uh, okay, I can't yeah. remember the language yeah. he uses, but kind of like basically gather up all the all the hay and stuff. Yeah. The hay a hay bale or I don't know. He yeah. whatever. He's always talking mm-hmm. about it. he's obsessed with gathering it up. Like it's all he talks about. Yeah. Wanting to get the harvest. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. So then I think we, we kind of in the vision uh envision ourselves as the wheat. Yeah. And 
God will come for his harvest. Yeah. He will, he will gather us into his kingdom. And it's kind of this idea of like, you don't get your harvest right away. There's yeah. growing. We're in that stage of the mm-hmm. kingdom's development where it's growing. Yeah. And there'll come a point in time where then it's finished. It's, it doesn't use that language of ripe. It's ripe. Yeah. yeah. It's fully ripe yeah. at the very end. Now it will all mm-hmm. be complete. So it's like, it kind of conveys even the mission That's of the right. church. Like we yeah. have a, we have a role to play in seeing that harvest grow yeah. as we reach more and more people. Um, as the book has already talked about, the church plays kind of this prophetic role as witnesses mm-hmm. um, to see the to see the harvest fully uh, yeah. realized. Yeah, and to experience the vision, uh, it's actually the word uh, in the Greek is uh, the harvest is dry. Uh, so it's it's because it's grain. Yeah, it right? dries out. It's right? green as it's growing, yeah. and it, when it's fully dried, then it's time to reap. Interesting. And yeah. So it's yeah, yeah. All right, should we move into this, yep. the next section? When you go ahead and read 17 through 20. Go ahead. Uh, Then another angel came out of the temple in heaven, and he too had a sharp sickle. And another came out from the altar, the the angel who has authority over the fire. He called with a loud voice to the one who had the sharp sickle, Put in your sickle and gather the grapes from from the vine of the earth, because its grapes are ripe. So the angel swung his sickle across the earth and gathered the grape harvest of the earth. And he threw it into the great winepress of the wrath of God. The winepress was trodden outside the city, and blood flowed from the winepress as high as a horse's horse's bridle for 1,600 stadia. So here we have the second harvest. And yeah, this is part of one image, but you kind of have two different contrasting harvests. And this one is the, if the first one is like a grain harvest, this one is the 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 harvest of the wine or the grapes for the wine press mm-hmm. and actually I was in Israel and when I was in Israel a few years ago like they we came across actual like ancient wine presses yeah that's cool which is really it was really neat to see like I didn't yeah. really know what it looked like or what it was like I had no idea mm-hmm. and then I saw mm-hmm. it there's and I I posted uh the pic some pictures I took of those wine presses in our church's Facebook group or otherwise um they're on uh, my blog, kirkmillerblog.com, if you search like Israel photos, you'll find them towards the bottom of that post. Mm-hmm. But it's like you would have a flat sort of like stone. You'd find like a stony surface or something like mm-hmm. that. And then they would like kind of carve out a deeper a deeper portion that when you stomp on the grapes in the flat portion, yeah. the juice yeah. would sort of naturally by gravitational pull gather in these kind of pooled deeper portions yeah where they like ferment and yep. they just let them yeah. sit there and know? some of them were more like sophisticated than others but you just imagine the idea of like they're kind of be like the servants or the laborers of a of a farm and you kind of throw the grapes onto this kind of like mm-hmm. it's kind of like if you were to throw grapes on like a uh you know like a sidewalk or something mm-hmm. like for our kind of our context you just start yeah. stomping on these grapes right you get juice everywhere on you oh, yeah. and that's this vision in, in the bible oftentimes of like god's judgment of kind of the 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 the, the juice representing like the blood mm-hmm. of the mm-hmm. enemies. Yeah. So it's a, it's an incredibly like vivid image of judgment. Yeah. It's, it's an interesting image how he, like if you would have just stopped there verse at, at the end of verse, you know, 19 or in the middle, or even just that the, you know, Gathering the wine the press was yeah. trodden outside the city and the blood flowed in the wine press. He, but yeah. then he just like gives this picture of four feet to five feet deep blood. Uh, it's, and it's going on for, you know, around the city, uh, roughly 180 to 200 miles. That's crazy. Yeah. It's, it's, I don't, yeah. you, it's hard to even imagine. Yeah. It's a flood of blood. Yeah. That's right? nasty. It's like, a, think, 
you, you're watching the, the news and you see a hurricane kind of sweeping over the Florida inland and it's yeah just pure blood. Yeah, utter, utter destruction. It's horrifying. And uh, let's look at, I know there's some, there's some, uh, this like this imagery we see elsewhere in scripture. Um, do you want to take us to? Uh... Oh, yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I'm not, I'm not picking like, up what you're. What are you uh... talking about? I'm trying to like put it on the T for you. Yeah, I see that. <laughs> so where are we flipping in our Bibles? Uh, we... Yeah, so it's Isaiah 63. As I make paper flipping noises for the microphone. <laughs> Isaiah 63. Yeah. Even though you're reading it on uh, your laptop? Well, no, I got. I did <laughs> open kidding. it in my Bible. I was reading it before on my laptop, but I actually opened it here. So. No, I'm kidding. Yeah, so Isaiah 63. This seems to be uh, the anointed one uh, speaking uh, or kind of God himself speaking about this, uh, this vengeance that God is going to bring. Uh, so I'll, I'll read it here. 63 verse 1. Who is this that comes from Edom? This is an enemy of, of uh, Israel. In cr- crimsoned garments from Basra, it's the capital city of Edom. He who is splendid in his apparel, marching in the greatness of his strength. Quote, it is I, speaking in righteousness, mighty to save. End quote. Why is your apparel red and your garments like his, uh, like his who treads in the winepress? So the question is like, why, why are you full of all this red stuff on your garments? And the answer, I have trodden the wine press alone. And from the peoples, no one was with me. I trod them in my anger and I trampled them in my wrath. Their lifeblood spattered on my garments and stained all my apparel. For the day of vengeance was in my heart and my year of redemption had come. I looked, but there was no one to help. I was appalled. But there was no one to uphold. So my own arm brought my, brought me salvation and my wrath upheld me. I trampled down the peoples in my anger. I made them drunk in my wrath. And I poured out their lifeblood on the earth. Yeah. So we get the similar image here of God in Isaiah. You know, um, one of the places where we see the wine press used as a picture of judgment. Mm-hmm. God, likely here through the, through the anointed one, the Messiah mm-hmm. figure of Isaiah. Mm-hmm. Um, stomping in, in, this, yeah. in the in the wine press, a depiction of God's judgment. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Um, yeah, so it's definitely it's interesting how Revelation. It's a common thing thing in Revelation mm-hmm. for it to be picking up on these images and gathering them to show their how they're completed in yeah. Christ. Yeah. So this um, would be John's way of like then pointing forward and saying that 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 wine press is coming or that that in mm-hmm. gathering the grapes is coming. God right. will come and bring that judgment. Right. And in in Revelation nineteen thirteen, it talks about when the Son of Man returns, he will have his garments uh, stained. Stained. Yeah. And so stained. there's probably, I always say, he is clothed in a robe, dipped in blood, um, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. So there's there's a potential allusion to also like, right, okay, right. this is the figure now that actually has his garments stained in blood. Um, so TBD, we'll get to that passage yep. eventually. Um, the, the last thing I think is interesting too to notice is that in both of these, so in this four, wait, fifth, I'm, yeah, I yeah, cannot get yeah, these yeah. numbers straight. Okay. I, I keep getting tripped up because there's two harvests. Right. Okay. But in the fifth, in this fifth and I saw vision mm-hmm. with the two harvests, yeah. both of these parts, these little subparts of the vision, um, the, it's, there's like the angel who's coming out of the temple. Yeah. So it communicates yeah. this idea that both the gathering of God's people as well as the judgment of unbelievers 
is from divine. It's God's plan. It's his control. Mm-hmm. It's something he's carrying out. It's coming from his very presence. Yeah, that's right. And Which so, we saw in this, uh, in last week in the second one of the five, right? The, uh, the drinking of the cup of God's wrath. And it says the torment of them goes up forever and ever. Yeah. Um, for it's in the presence of his holy angels and in the presence of the lamb. Yeah. It's the lamb bringing the judgment. Yeah. yeah. So this is, and this is going to fit then the last vision of the song mm-hmm. where God is the one who brings salvation and judgment. Yeah. Like these are things that come from his hands. They're not yeah. things outside of his control. His, it, 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 there's no sort of, as we think about the destiny of history, it's not sort of a big question mark. What's going to happen. Mm-hmm. God is going to bring it to, to the end that he has planned for. Yeah. Which again, I can't remember if we talked about this last week, but sometimes people get the image of the Old Testament. That's the God of wrath, but the God of New Testament is, is love and Jesus is love. Right. Uh, Jesus is the one pouring out the judgment. Here. Right. And in the Old Testament, God yeah. is also God of love. He, right. he pronounces himself as a God of hesed, yeah. um, love and mercy. I think like specifically when God reveals himself to Moses. Like yeah. The attributes of God were in when he reveals himself to Moses, he reveals himself as both a God of justice and yeah. a God of mercy right. and grace. Right. And so... Um, the portrait of God is consistent across right. the New Testament. Yep. If anything, as we saw, the New Testament is actually drawing on and alluding mm-hmm. to and picking mm-hmm. up on the very nature of God from the Old Testament mm-hmm. with this image of wine press, right. where eventually the song, as we'll see, is alluding to Exodus 15 mm-hmm. and what God did in the Exodus. Yeah. So it's a consistent image. Yep. Should we move on to the yeah. the next scene, which is just one, one verse. verse? Yep. Then I saw another sign in heaven. Great. Amazing. Seven angels with seven plagues, which are the last, because with them the wrath of God is finished. And I saw what appeared to be a sigla. Yeah. It just kind of <laughs> like... It just moves on. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about the effect of that. Uh, you know, I think some of that, is, like it's suspense. Uh, John has this way of introducing something and then he doesn't give you a whole lot, which, which we've mentioned several times in sermons and on the podcast. So like uh, with Babylon, you saw it with the beast, you saw it with the city in the previous version. The city comes up for the first time, but doesn't really expound yeah. on it. It'll come up later. So it's common and, for like, like in chapter 11, it talks yeah. about how the beast kills the witnesses. Yeah. But you're like, who's the beast? He yeah. doesn't tell us anything. Or yeah. you talk about Babylon, all these things like he has a way of like kind of throwing someone out. Yeah. Like this character out but he doesn't really that's right so there's another one where it's kind of like oh here's the yeah. plagues and you're like well what's that yeah. about yeah and he did and, and if you haven't of, read the book yeah. before and the thing of, of it is too he doesn't just say oh yeah and by the way like now then i saw some angels but i'll get back to them but he he like they're great this sign it's great it's amazing the wrath of god is finished with them yeah right <laughs> <laughs> and there's plagues coming, like, so your mind probably goes to the Exodus. Yeah. You know, you're like, "What's going to happen?" Like, that's whoa, a big, whoa, that's whoa, a big whoa. deal. Yeah, maybe, you know, maybe the first audience was like, "Was there a section missing?" Did like, you, what, wait, what happened? Just, yeah, it's like you skipped a track on accident. <laughs> yeah. like if you had one of those CDs back in the day and just yeah. kind of like skip over, you're like, "Wait a minute, what just?" <laughs> um, you, you or when you're reading a book, you actually grab two pages instead of one. You start reading, you're like, "Wait, did yeah. I miss something?" Yeah, that's right. Um, so, so he'll get to it. Yeah, you know, the next, the next. Uh, series of sevens is going to be these seven plagues being poured out the, yeah. the bowls um, but that's all he has for it us for now but right. in in the section this is a negative vision again so if you think of like a judgment vision. yeah a negative ju- a judgment vision so you have the two beasts and then you have a series of five vision or i saws uh that are showing uh the end of the pilgrimage yeah the end game a positive negative and the, the first one's positive second one's negative 
middle one is positive and negative. The two harvests. The fourth one is negative, and then you have the fifth being a positive. So you kind of have this, um, uh, like a almost mirror, like, a, like a mirror is. Yeah, yeah. yeah like Technically, the term would be kind of chiastic. Yeah. yeah. Um, but and then the structure. outside, the two outside of those five are both ha- like mentioned songs. Yes. Too. So That's right. A, seems to be a clear structure. That's right. All and all of it together, when you add the two beasts, make seven, which of right. course fits Revelation in its seven, the completion of this battle. Right. So I, what's interesting too is like we'll get to the bulls um, in fifteen five to the end of chapter sixteen, and so here what it seems to be doing is it seems to be well first of all there's kind of like uh, are you like you're familiar with like Russian nesting dolls mm-hmm. where you have like this these like egg shaped dolls I think mm-hmm. and if you open up the the doll. There's like another doll inside of it mm-hmm. and you kind of keep mm-hmm. opening up until you have these little tiny dolls. So like the dolls yeah. like nest inside the other dolls. There's a little bit of that happening here where it's like within the within this this set of seven and I saws, mm-hmm. you kind of get a uh, the bowls are kind of like nested. The bowl judgments or the plague judgments are mm-hmm. kind of like nested inside them. So yeah. there's like a hook linking these two sections. Yeah. But by placing it here, it, it, it's kind of like saying when we get to the bowl judgments – those will be an expression mm-hmm. of like bringing to fruition what we are seeing right here. Mm-hmm. So we're not looking – in other words, it fits kind of the recapitulation theme of the book of Revelation. Yeah. We're not dealing with a chronology where first there's going to be this battle right. ending in a harvest and then we're going to – and then we're going to have the bulls that come afterwards. No. Right. They're, they're linked up. They, they overlap. Yeah. The bulls are an expression of the very end game sort of judgment and salvation that's happening right. here. Right. Yep. Yeah. So, yeah. And another evidence for that is the fact of this next vision, which we can move on to, is a song. Mm-hmm. And uh, both in the seals, the seven seals, and in the seven trumpets, they keep ending with the saints of God before the throne of God singing to Yeah. Him. Actually, quite a bit of the sections end. You have the, the seals end with silence, but the yep. trumpets end with a song. Well, there was a song right, right before it. Oh, was there? Yeah. Remind me. So it's the hundred. You have the hundred twenty-four thousand, and then you have the great multitude. Right. They're singing. Yep. That's true. Yep. So there's a song end of seven. Yeah. There's a song at the end of eleven after Mm -hmm. with the seventh trumpet. There's a song here now at the end of this sign section. Yeah. There's going to be a song at the end. So there's not one at the end of sixteen. Or not at the end of the bowl, but there's one at the end of the next section at nineteen. Was it nineteen ten? Yep. So, but this goes to show then some of the structure that we've been advocating for. Where, for example, this fifteen, um, this fifteen one through four would would be seen as the climax yeah. of this section, yeah. and then verse five starts a new section with the bull, the mm-hmm. bull judgments, mm-hmm. the bulls of God's plagues. Yeah. So let's go ahead and read this last and I saw section then. All right. And I saw what appeared to be a sea of glass mingled with fire, and also those who had conquered the beast in its image. And the number of its name, standing beside the sea of glass with harps of God in their hands. And they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and amazing are your deeds, O Lord God the Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the nations. Who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship you, for your righteous acts have been revealed. All right. So this is the the final scene, and this really shows as well that we're we're talking about the very end of history here, mm-hmm. the way that this is coming coming to its climax. What's interesting is in verse two, it talks about uh, those who had conquered the beast and its right. image and the number of its name. And previously, 
the beast was said to conquer believers. Right. And so you're yeah. like, wait 13, a minute. Yeah. I thought the beasts were conquering believers in chapter 13. Yeah. But what we see is this, that this is what the book is doing with this language mm-hmm. of conquering. Mm-hmm. In some ways it uses it in a more literal sense of like a military, like, yes, it killed the yeah. believers. But ironically, the believers actually conquer the beast by right. being faithful even unto death. That's right. And so the believers here, the true, the truer reality is that the believers actually conquer the beast yeah. even as he conquers them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause they're actually entered into, they enter into glory through yeah. their death. Yeah. Through faith sort of like death. how Jesus says, yet though you die, yet shall you live. This would right. be like, though you are conquered, yet you shall conquer. Exactly. You remain faithful. You will conquer the beast. Yeah. And so tell us, um, we, like we saw, we saw, we have a, we have a song at, in the beginning of 14, 14, one through five, it's mentioned that there's a song. And then in 15 here, it's like, we get the lyrics now. Yeah. The, the content of the song. We yep. get the content. Yep. And there's a, there's harp, there's harps mentioned in each two. They're mm-hmm. a little bit, they're shown to be a little bit different, but yep. there's kind of this linking going on between mm-hmm. the songs. Um, so tell us a little bit about this song and maybe some of the background to it. Yeah. So we're, we're, we're told it's the song of Moses and the song of the lamb. Um, I would understand that to be the, it's the same song. He's not trying to say there is the song of Moses and there's the song and of Lamb. There's addition, two separate, yeah. like the contents are different. This is the song of Moses and the song of the Lamb. And it goes like this is yeah. what, what you might. Almost like they're singing a duet or something. Yeah. Now, if the song of Moses is coming, I would take this to be the Exodus 15 yep. uh, song, which uh, even just if you just read the, the very first line um, of it, which. Uh. Exodus 15 is coming yeah. right after the Egyptians are... Right after are... 14. <laughs> yes, it comes after 14. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it's coming right after when God destroys the Egyptians in the in the sea yep. as they're chasing the Hebrews out of Egypt after the yeah. Exodus. So this is a song about praising God for his deliverance in the Exodus. That's right. It's his, his salvation through judgment. Right. Like he brought judgment on Pharaoh. And his people and brought salvation for God's Which people. Which totally makes sense in with Revelation. Yep. So God accomplishes salvation by judging the enemies. And yeah. in Revelation, the song of uh, the song of Moses and the Lamb is a song that praises God for his salvation through right. judgment. It's, right. it's identical in that way. Yeah. And so the very first line of uh, Moses' song, I will sing to the Lord for he has triumphed gloriously. Yeah. So it's a this is a exuberant a song of exuberant triumphal joy. Yeah. God has conquered. Uh, there's verse eight at the blast of your nostrils, the waters piled up. I love that image. Yeah. Blast your nostrils, almost like a snorting kind yeah, of thing. Yeah. You think yep. of like a bull or something. Yeah. Now, verse 11 of this song in Exodus uh, reads, who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders? Now, that rings a bell a little bit from our section. Do you yeah, remember so- where that's from? So in Revelation, Revelation, yeah. Revelation thirteen, they that's what they say of the beast. Who is like the beast because right, he's right. he's survived or he's been healed from this mortal wound. And yeah. so there seems to be a deliberate sort of you know parody as yeah. as the beast is a parody of of you know a false Christ, yeah. imitating sort of these attributes of God. Yeah, um, who is like the beast? Mm-hmm. Well, mm-hmm. in reality, who is like Yahweh? Yeah, that's and right. And this is the ultimate song that then comes in in Revelation fifteen that's to right. contrast the worship of the beast. That's right. Yeah. And so I think the way you would read this is is um, what what we wouldn't want to say is that you know Moses um, that that encounter was the the true historic redemption and Jesus brought a spiritual redemption yeah like or something metaphorical it's, redemption yeah it's no that historically happened uh, in the Exodus 
but it was pointing to an even greater reality, the true exodus to come for right. God's people, right. the true rescue, true even, salvation and judgment. even in the Old Testament, that, that exodus in many ways eventually ended in exile. Yeah. Like God truly did redeem those people, but it wasn't the ultimate salvation that yeah. that brought about the king, the, the permanent, eternal, you know, perfect kingdom. Yeah. It was a prototype, you might say. Yeah. Yeah. And so even the prophets, when the exile comes, they view the exile as going back into, quote unquote, Egypt, going back into the slavery that they had been redeemed mm-hmm. from. And ultimately, mm-hmm. we'll need a new exodus. If God yeah. saved us the first time through the exodus, if the exodus was sort of the thing that was lodged into their national consciousness of how God redeems his people, it makes mm-hmm. sense then that the ultimate redemption God brings mm-hmm. in Jesus is depicted in Exodus categories. And yeah. that's something we've seen throughout the book where mm-hmm. Jesus is depicted as a lamb who is slain like a Passover lamb. And we have these plague judgments. There's a lot of Exodus themes in the book of Revelation. And so God is saying here uh, in this song that his salvation is like the salvation of the Exodus. The Exodus yeah. was pointing to the ultimate reality of salvation that God would eventually bring about in Jesus. Yeah, yeah. Which which means so those are those verses three and four of of the of the song here in fifteen. Actually, or sorry, Revelation fifteen. Oh, I guess I didn't even pick that up. The Revelation fifteen. Yeah, yeah. Huh. Um, anyhow, uh, great and amazing are your deeds, just and true are your ways. Your righteous acts have been revealed. Uh, those seem to be pointing then in the context of revelation here as well as the song of moses is referring not just to salvation but also judgment yeah salvation through judgment that's how you might put it yeah yeah and it's interesting too that it talks about how he's i think it's interesting that he says he's king over the nations Mm kind of like in the beginning of the book where it says jesus is a ruler of the kings on earth Mm -hmm. like this it's an important theme because what did Mm -hmm. we see we saw the beast was trying to claim authority for himself that the state oftentimes will think of itself as the absolute authority mm-hmm. and God is saying no I'm the one who is king of the nations mm-hmm. yeah um, and he calls for he calls for folks to what does it say in verse four who will not fear and glorify your name this is the same language that we saw um, in chapter 11 where the two witnesses their suffering witness brings about people who fear and give glory to God so mm-hmm. as the church mm-hmm. witnesses and sees people saved fearing and giving glory to God. So the song ultimately is celebrating that the mission of God has been completed yeah. and that, that who will fear and glorify God. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's an interesting thought. I, th- I think we talked about this last week, just to, be- because like we, you and I have grown up not experiencing a whole lot of like war and su- such like that, which is, which is a great blessing or just yeah. kind of like evil on that level where it's just like people we've lived in peace peaceable times yeah no granted there is a lot of really sad hard terrible things that happen in our country so it's yep. not yep. to say that um but uh i think we would just admit we haven't experienced as evil on that level so that much. a lot but, of people have but yeah. to sing like we will we will all be singing all the saints will be worshiping god for his judgment and uh, i think sometimes it's hard for us to wrap our mind around but we'll finally see it clearly because mm-hmm. sometimes we struggle with the idea of like how could we celebrate how could like it doesn't yeah, especially seem if like we a almost, loved one yeah who's going to receive the wrath of god yeah who's rejected christ like yeah. we we can struggle with the idea of like thinking that god's wrath is good we yeah. oftentimes think of those as like the unfortunate doctrines of our faith right yeah but the bible like in our glorified state when we are not thinking sinfully when we're yeah. seeing things perfectly from god's perspective like it also like we will see the righteousness of God for the good, the good that's thing right. that it actually is. Yep, that's right. Yeah. So, and so in closing, how does a section like this, 
Um, what's the message that it is that it it's conveying to the to the believer here? How is this contributing to to the overall call of this section in the book? Yeah. So again, I th- I think this whole section of eleven nineteen to fifteen four is is presenting the great conflict, or you might say the cosmic conflict that the church experiences, the church age on earth mm-hmm. uh, with Satan hates the church. And we, you know, chapter 12 shows that though he hates the church, he is a defeated foe already yet, not yet, right? He makes war against the church. He will do everything he can. Uh, and yet uh, the church can endure through it. Why? Because uh, one Chapter 13, knowing that God is in absolute control, mm-hmm. uh, if they are conquered, it's because he allows them to be conquered. And yet, also then looking forward, by keeping faith, you conquer. Right. And you, everything will be reversed in the end. God will come for his harvest. You will sing to the Lamb, and we will have joy with him forever. Yeah. These visions of the ultimate destiny, the, the end game, are meant to uh, energize endurance in mm-hmm. the in the present, in the now. Yeah. Cool. All right. So next, uh, well, next week we're doing an overview section, but we'll eventually get to the bowl of judgment soon, which is 15.5 into chapter 16. And we look forward to looking at that with you then. Mm